Hi there, this is Gary Rogowski for Splinters. I hope you're well in these strange times. Let's talk about the shop, shall we? I wanted to, yes, regale you <laughs> with the idea of, of having a shop. I was in college studying to be a degreed professional of some sort. I had no clue what. And I ran into people who were completely unlike a literature major. They studied physics. They were very strange people. <laughs> they were very odd. People who talked about stuff that I, I found fascinating. And I thought, well, this is interesting to perform experiments and to think about stuff in, in a different way instead of just you know thinking about symbolism and rhetoric and all these things that literature majors fill their minds with. And so that's who I hung out with, was, was physics majors in college. And one of them, Joel, who was uh, going to become a, an astronomer, had a little house in southeast Portland, and he was doing some metalworking. He had a little lathe, and he was turning brass and, and small parts. And I thought, well, that's, that's cool. I don't want to be a metalworker. So maybe I could try my hand at, at, at woodworking. And so I got a few tools and started to knock some stuff together. I built one of the first things I built was a was a bench. Now he had Joel had a small garage, one car garage, and in an old servant's house, really a tiny little thing, three small rooms in a row behind a much bigger house out front, and nice enclosed porch that had steps leading down to a basement. Anyway, I'm out in the garage and I built my first workbench out there out of two by fours and plywood attached to the inside wall of this garage. And I was so proud of myself. I had, I had something tangible in front of me. There it was. And I developed a technique then to test, test out my work. I got up on top of it with my big steel-toed boots and jumped up and down on it. A technique I use to this day. Nah. I don't. But I got such a hoot out of, yeah, just such satisfaction out of building something. I was so new to this world. It made no sense for me to do this, to become a furniture maker and teach myself. But Joel moved out, got on the road on his way to New Zealand and made it to Hawaii. And that was it. Worked on the telescopes on a couple different observatories there. Anyway, I inherited the house and the basement which I said, that's my shop. Now, this basement was so small that I never even bothered to measure its square footage. It had to be 10 by, I don't know, 15, something like that. But I made what I could out of this space. I hung some, how did I hang a bamboo curtain or something to hide the, the big octopus-style oil furnace? Yeah, it was such a tiny space. I built a bench, a bigger bench, which I still have, and then taught myself how to make large pieces of wood into smaller pieces of wood, which is what woodworkers do. So it was four years in that basement training myself, and it was an apprenticeship to my few woodworking books that I could find and my lack of patience with my mistakes. Oh, my goodness. Gnashing of teeth and moaning and, oh, tearing hair. And it's a teaching yourself. I don't know that it was the best way. It was the best choice for me at the time because I was a difficult 
student and unsure of myself and had impossibly high standards as a teacher. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a challenge. But I spent my time there and I loved shaping wood. And that's what I learned. I loved shaping wood. And I also learned how to swear quite well. Anyway, the uh, future was completely unformed in my head. All I knew was that I wasn't going to do what everyone expected me to do. There's a photo of me that accompanies this podcast. It's of me sitting in this little garden space that we had carved out of the blackberry bushes that surrounded us. And I had made one of my first designs into the ground there, a pattern of small timbers to make us a little deck. One of my first meditative designs. What lay ahead? I did not know. I did know that I surprised the hell out of myself choosing this course rather than a more dependable career with more schooling and degrees. But I found out that working with my hands in this culture is the road to riches. Riches of the internal, not external sort. I made a good choice and I got lucky doing it. It's tough to know when you're Let's see, I was 24 when I started doing the woodwork, and it was a revelation to me. It was a revelation to me that I could teach myself, be challenged so much by the education I was receiving, I was involved in, an education in physics and mathematics, patience, design, all these courses. <laughs> I can see a transcript now. Uh, D, D minus, C. <laughs> Actually, in after my first four years, I designed a piece that I still recreate now, my stool project. Um, so there are, there were successes and many failures, but it is a place, the shop is, that has always been an important part of my life. A place of learning place of creativity, a place of refuge. And over the years, I realized when I came out, out to my shop in Lyle that I had to put another shop together. And it was my fifth big shop, my fifth major shop. The basement shop was the first one. And, and uh, Jane and I lived in that house until I think 79. And uh, so about four years, five years in that small space. I could not get a sheet of plywood into it. I could barely get my bandsaw, my great acquisition down into the space. It was impossibly small. Had my first accident there, but then I moved into this, oh, palatial 600 square foot shop, the garage space that was um, formerly a diesel truck garage. And it stunk of diesel and it was concrete and cinder walls and cold and damp. And I put a wood stove in there, plywood down on the floors, tried to make the most of it. Had a wood stove that wasn't a great wood stove. So I had to start a fire every morning, warm up my tools, warm up myself. A lot of learning went on in that shop. I was starting to try some things. And that's what happens. You start to figure out your techniques and push yourself see where you can go with your work, see where it will take you. And 
I built some cool pieces then. And that, that shop I stayed in until, I don't know, it was about six years there, eight, six, seven years. Jane and I split up and I bounced around to a couple of temporary shops, notably um, John's shop. He was a kitchen cabinet guy and had a finisher that uh, lacquered all his, all his cabinets all the way on the other side of the basement shop we were in, but I could see him walking around in this cloud of lacquer dust, <laughs> lacquer smoke. What a place. Tiny, tiny spot. But it was, uh, it was a good spot. Mike was upstairs with uh, Creative Woodworking, just getting started. His kids were young then. Um, and then I moved to the uh, Barker building, an old furniture factory. That place was great. It was a great shop. So there was, I don't know how many square feet, 30 or 40,000 square feet, maybe more, of factory space. There were three floors, but really two that were used the most. And the second floor of this one building we were in was converted into woodworking spaces. And that was a 1,600 square foot shop that I worked in, which was luxurious. I, I lost things in the dust in the corners. <laughs> it was... Um, also, a, a rundown building. Uh, I, what did I have? A tar paper roof or something. And the worst time of the year was summer when the roof expanded and the water had, that had collected up there found its way in. I had a gutter inside my shop for a while. It was awful. They didn't work on that building much. And it's still there. And it still houses woodworkers and other, other artists. It's amazing that it's, that it's there. But 17 years in that space, boy, time flies. I'll sign one two-year lease. I'll sign a three-year lease. I'll sign a two-year lease. I'll sign a three. <laughs> Five-year chunks just kept going by. But it was a great space, great space to stretch out, get some better equipment, and challenge myself with my techniques and design. And then realizing that the city was changing and I needed to look out for my future a little bit. I I looked for years before I found a, a space, before I found the studio building in Southeast Portland. The uh, Barker building was in Northeast, right near the freeway. And the second floor was level with the freeway, actually. But this building that I found in Southeast was an old warehouse. It was Eastside Transfer. I took it back in the tax records to the mid-30s. East side transfer. And the building next to it, they communicated with, with each other. There was a there was a door between the two buildings on the first floor, and that had been walled up. And there was a door in the basement that was padlocked. And those two buildings, I think, they brought horses down the far south building. And you could see where they hewn away at the timbers, I think for the horse heads. So they could get them down into the basement, unload their stock, and then go out my building. It's just a guess. It's hard to do the uh, forensics, forensic archaeology on this. Forensic architectural archaeology on this building. 15 years in that space, time again flies. And now I am putting a shop together out in Lyle. And it is challenging, as all shop spaces are, to put together. But I can tell you this. Shops take on the character of their occupants. 
It's it's just like well, it's just like starting a business. When I first started the Northwest Woodworking Studio, it was 1997. I said, I don't like what I'm seeing here in town or education in the crafts. I want to steer a different course. And I decided to start my own own school. And I bring this up because what was curious was that all of a sudden I start to get phone calls from people saying, well, I see you started a school. Maybe you want to come and teach at my school that I'm starting out in. Well, there was one guy in Astoria, and there was another one up in the Gorge, and then there was a guy, Michael from Seattle. He was going to start a school, and they were all asking me, how did you do this? And I thought, first time I thought, well, you know, I, I don't really want to talk about it. You know, I just kind of got started. And, and then the second phone call, I got a little bit more cautious. And by the third phone call, I realized, all these guys are trying to pump me for information on my business, not about my craft, which I'm so happy to share that information, but um, how I run a business. And I said to the last guy, I said, you know, it's going to take on whatever qualities you have. And that's not known to me, but you just have to do it and you have to do it your way. I can't give you any advice on how to start and run a business. And then those calls mostly stop. I still would get some. But that's that's really true. Your shop is going to take on, your business is going to take on the qualities that you bring to it. And so I have a need for organization, but not an obsession for it. And my shop reflects that, no question about it. The past year that I've been working out here, if there was a critter cam on me, you'd see stuff flying out the door once a week and some raving maniac inside going, there's no room in here. And that was me moving stuff for the fifth or sixth time that I'd put in my way again. Oh my goodness, that was a struggle until I, f I did a couple of things where I, I'd laid out my bench position right from the start, but I had a chop saw in the way. I finally turned that thing 90 degrees, and all of a sudden, I had a shop I could walk through. So simple. Some other things occurred, and I, I will talk in depth about those decisions in a class coming up this September called Setting Up Shop. It is a series of lectures divided into chapters. I wanted to talk with folks who are just getting started or who are started in the craft, but kind of need to get past a hump. And I think that your shop is a super important part of this choice to do this work. And if it's not working with you, it's working against you. So there are five chapters in the whole video series, and you can come and take one chapter, which is uh, four lectures, or take them all, which is 20. Uh, but the first one talks about flow and setting up your shop with lighting and heating and wiring and placement of tools, that sort of thing, decisions. And then I talk about hand tools, which ones to have, which ones you don't need, how to take care of them, those kinds of issues. Machinery is next. I use machines. I like to get my wood milled up in a timely fashion, so I use machines for that purpose. And then we get into more, well, shall I say, philosophic topics, concepts of, of woodworking. What is square? What is flat? What do I need to worry about? What can I let go of? Square. Hmm. Can I let go of that? 
It's interesting what you can get away with. And finally, strategies for building stuff. What things do you need in the shop to help you build furniture? Those five chapters make up the video series. And as I say, there are 20 lectures in all. Should be fun. Should be a lot of fun to talk about this and answer questions. Well, one other thing I forgot to mention about each of the lectures will have a project associated with it as well. So we'll build something. So there'll be 20 projects. Some of them will take a half an hour to make and some will take longer, but all things that I use in the shop to help things go more smoothly. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. It's called Setting Up Shop. Please go to our website, northwestwoodworking.com to get more information. Right on the homepage there, there's a link to uh, a form that will get you the chapters and all that information about timing. And it'll run every other Saturday. Yeah, all that information is there. So if you're interested, please check that out. And thanks very much for listening. I really do appreciate your taking some time and uh, checking in with me. And this is Gary Rogowski reminding you that there's videos, hats, t-shirts, yeah, the whole thing on the website. Check it out, northwestwoodworking.com. Do your best. Take care. Bye-bye.